Welcome to the Mosh Zone, episode 126. Week 126, volume 126, number fucking 126. Hey, going, guys? How's your week been? Thank you for tuning in. This week's guest is Adam of Lorna Shore, and that will be coming up later in the show. Let's kick things off with feedback, questions, what's been going on. We're still receiving a lot of positive feedback and messages from you all, so a big thank you to everyone that's been taking time out of their day to comment, message, or share the show. All of our listeners, all of you listening, yes, that's you listening right now. You make all the grind, the hard work, and the stress worth it. We're not sponsored. We don't have backing. Everything we're doing is through our own determination and persistence and passion. So when we know and hear from you guys that it's paying off, makes everything worth it. So thank you and much love to all of you. Let's get into the big part of the show, the main part of the show. This week, I got to chat with Adam of Lorna Shaw. First thing I gotta say, thank you so very, very, very much, dude, for taking time out for me and the Mosh Zone. Much love, much respect, much appreciated. So Lorna Shaw formed around 2010, three albums and three EPs so far. Style-wise, genre-wise, The band is a mix of the deathcore, the death metal, and the symphonic black metal. Great band, great sound, I'm a big fan. And I'm a big fan of this man. True legend, he was so relaxed, enjoyable to chat with. I loved every minute and I can't wait to do a part two. That chat with Adam is coming up now. So we start off with, for everyone, it's the same kind of question. And do you remember as a kid growing up and not a heavy band, but just a band that developed music into something for you? You know, was there a band that you first heard as a kid and you went, oh, I love this. And you didn't know why and you became obsessed with. (laughs) Okay, so I guess most people probably want the stereotypical like, I heard Metallica for my first time or I read, I remember reading interviews and like someone being like from other musicians and they were saying like my <clears throat> older brother was listening to like Pantera or something like that. Um, I am the older brother, so I didn't have that privilege. And I grew up in the nineties where um, pop like boy bands was a thing. So that was like the first time I got introduced to like five piece, you know, all men like pop groups. And I was just like, wow, like, music is awesome. Like, and I, and I thought like being 10 years old that I can find my way into NSYNC. I thought I I could be the sixth member. So, um, still waiting on that phone call. I don't think I'll get it. Um, (laughs) but, but yeah, that was like the first like musical piece that I was like, Oh my God. And I was like 10 years old. I don't know, eight years old. I don't know how old I was. Uh, but I remember just being that young and being like, wow, music is awesome. Like, and I, to be really like captivated by it i think that was the first approach to like being interested in music and then i think the another big thing was being over a friend's house or 
and I think there was a Michael Jackson special, like a, like a concert, and I was like so like blown away by like watching someone perform and having like a whole a whole stadium audience like captivated by that. So I was very moved and inspired by like pop like icons because it was just like I don't know. There was just something about this larger than life image, and um, that was like my first approach. It wasn't so much the music. I mean, I, I obviously I still think Michael Jackson songs are some of the best songs and. Uh, as I got older, I started to appreciate that, but I was so much more into just like this larger than life, like gigantic, like image of a person. That was like my first real like approach to, um, to music. Like, and then I found my way into like heavier music later in life. But yeah, my first approach was like pop music and like boy bands and Michael Jackson. (laughs) Well, I mean, what, what drew you in, you know, to, um, NSYNC in particular, or just the boy band? Was it the, aesthetics of the music was it the imagery because you know i was drawn to personally i was drawn to aerosmith as a kid um i remember seeing loving an elevator and i think something about that video made me obsessed i think it was the start so what about that boy band drew you in it was just like the songs were accessible like it was Mm -hmm. easy to follow like i mean pop music i think in general is like the point of it it's pop is short for popular Mm -hmm. and it's popular for a reason it's very accessible it's very digestible when you're eight years old you don't have the musical palette to like understand what is going on but more so from the simple side of it of like this sounds good and I can get it and like relating to being like, these are like a bunch of dudes. Like, and I was like, okay, cool. Like I can relate to that as well. I'm a guy, like I can relate to, to a bunch of dudes. Like, and you know, there was just something about it. And and I don't think it was like the imagery. I don't think it was anything more than like the songs are easy to digest and they were like performing and like people love them. And I was like, well, my infantile brain was just like, okay, be this thing and people will love you. And that's, it's kind of like probably what I was thinking if I look back at the psychology of, of myself at that age, it was, um, it was that, but yeah, I don't, I don't think it was like, I wish I had a cooler story to tell. Like, you know, <laughs> I was like obsessed with like the artwork that you'd see on like a vulgar display of power and you're like, holy shit, what is this? Or like, you know, hearing in like the opening riff of like master of puppets and being like, this is insane. I remember being like terrified as a kid because, um, uh, my older cousin, he actually was into metal. And like the first time I saw imagery of metal was like in his room, he had like posters. He had a Metallica poster and he had an Ozzy Osbourne poster. The Ozzy Osbourne poster scared me to shit. It was like him hitchhiking and on a piece of cardboard, it said like hell. And I was like, what is this? this and like my cousin listens to this. And then there was like a Metallica poster was like two skeletons and like they were wrapped in like, I think bandages or whatnot. And at eight years old, you're like, I don't know what this is. This is insane. Cause he was like significantly older than I was. And I guess he, and he was actually listening to all that, but that was like my first taste of like metal. And I was very like scared by it (laughs) because like the imagery was like insane. And then like, I know I heard that like my cousin told me the story that like Ozzy bit the head off a bat. And I was like, you have a poster of this guy in your room. What is with you? And so I was very like, like thrown off by like heavy music. So it, I guess at that point in time, I just wasn't really um into the imagery of it. So I wasn't sold on it at that point. Well, I think, I mean, I, I had the same. Mine was Iron Maiden. I remember first seeing Iron Maiden and seeing Eddie, the, the creature that they're all about. And I was freaked the fuck out. I did not like it. Um, and I think that's the reality. I think a lot of listeners will probably connect with your story while you're saying it's not as exciting or interesting. It is because the reality is our first gateway to music quite often is pop music. 
But right. where did your discovery go musically if you didn't have an older sibling? You know, you mentioned your, your cousin there with music, but how did you start venturing down discovery path into eventually being heavy metal? Um, I think just like and I think anyone I talk to is like when you become a teenager, you're trying to find yourself. So you're just bouncing from one subculture to the next subculture to one thing to the next thing. And then like, I think at that age, you're super open. So like you'd have a phase. And I think when people talk about like, mom, it's not a phase is like that, that period of time when you're like, I'm into this stuff and I'm so into this. And then you're like, no, I'm not into this anymore. And like, I'm into this and no, I'm not into this anymore. And I'm into this. And I, and I think if I really think back to it, um, I think how I found like the subculture of music was I started getting into skateboarding and skateboarding was the thing to do. And then I was skateboarding with older people and they were listening to more like punk, mm-hmm. you know, like listening to stuff like uh, older offspring and uh, like the misfits and um, like more your entry level punk stuff. And, and uh, they kind of introduced me to that. I wasn't really into it, but I listened to them like, okay, these guys are older. I skateboard with them. And then I started playing like, video games like Tony Hawk Pro Skater and there was a lot more like punk and like heavier music in there so I was like okay some of this stuff is cool but I didn't really care for it and then I think as I got to be like into like early teens I just found bands I found like more like emo bands like bands like Senses Fail um uh like all Taken Back Sunday and all the bands from like that era like brand new and that just kind of got me into like more an underground like emo world and then like the threshold for like heavier music, even though it's not heavy, but like comparable to like pop music was relatively heavier. And then that threshold moved into like finding more like post hardcore ba- hardcore bands like Under Oath, Silverstein. Um, and then I finally got into like metalcore bands like As Lay Dying, It Dies Today, Bleeding Through, um, who else? A Kill Switch Engage, August Burns Red, like all that stuff. And then after that was when like I think the wave of like. I have found out about Black Dahlia murder, uh, you know, death course started becoming a thing like with, you know, suicide talents and Carnifex. And then, um, yeah, that, it just was a gradual process. But when I think back to it, like I kind of just fell into it just from like being around other people that were into it and was like, Hey, like check this out. And just kind of, you're very open at that teenage year where you're just like trying to find yourself. And I think that was the thing. And I was feel like I was very excluded from many other like groups that like, I was like, okay, like, well, now let me just be re- quote unquote rebellious and, and, you know, be part of a subculture that is like on the outskirts and really embrace being on the outskirts. And I think that was more polarizing to me than trying to fit in. Cause I think most of my life I was trying to fit in with the cool groups. I mean, I played sports my whole life. So I tried fitting in with like the cooler guys and that didn't work. Um, I think I'm a lot cooler than they are, but nonetheless, I didn't, I was not accepted in, in that group, but none, but, um, yeah, I, I just like, accepted that I'm not gonna be part of it and I'm gonna embrace this like kind of outskirts like subculture and then it just my threshold for like um extreme just kept getting bigger and bigger and you know uh I'm very much like a hundred or nothing person and I had I always try like pushing my threshold to like the limit so it only made sense that I'd find my way towards like extreme metal because like I'm like I think to me that is the most like extreme version of of heavy music is like you know the is heavy metal I think and uh, yeah, so I found my way to that because I just naturally am a person that's very like, I wanted to push everything to 11 regardless of what I did. So, um, you know, was a fan of growing up of like action movies and everything I listened to was had to be loud regardless of what it was or I wanted to go fast and everything. So I'm just very much an extreme person. So like it made sense that I'd gravitate towards extreme metal. And uh, 
just kind of a gradual process if I really think about it. So we're in that, you know, discovery of, you know, the emo and then it rolls into, as you said, you know, it keeps progressing. Do you decide that you want to pick up an instrument or were you already looking at an instrument beforehand? Because there's one thing about listening and loving music um, that some listeners will know, but it takes quite a bit of conviction and determination to not only pick up an instrument, but stay into an instrument. There's, there's two aspects to that. And it's really funny. I like talking about it because I think it really, it's it just really honest. Um, so I had a, I was like, I think like 14 or 15. I had a thing, um, with this girl, like I liked her and we like talked before and then like we kind of fizzled out. And then I was like, man, like why I blew, I blew that chance. And I tried talking to her again. And she was like really, really interested in this dude in a band who was like a vocalist. And I was like, man, if I was only a vocalist of a band, could I get this girl that I really liked? And from that point on, I was like, I need to be in a band. And I, and I was like, well, let me go be a vocalist. Realizing I'm not, I have no musical abilities. Like I was just like thinking this is going to be a means to an end, basically. Like I just need to be in a band in order to, you know, to, to, to get this uh, girl to, you know, notice me, if you will. And then I wanted to be a vocalist. And, and then um, I wrote my first song and it was God awful. And I was like, well, that's embarrassing. Um, and I can't sing, so let's not go towards that. And then I was like, well, I want to be in a band still. Cause I feel like it's necessary for me to be in a band. Um, and I was like, let me like maybe play drums. I can definitely air drum to a bunch of like as dying songs. So I definitely can play drums, cannot play drums. I still cannot play drums. Um, and then during that period of time, I was watching a lot of like band documentaries or in the studio footage or like I was seeing like it was an under oath DVD and they were like on tour and I was like man like to be on tour with like your like five of your closest friends and be able to tour the world with music you wrote like I think that's the next level because at that point in time I was going to shows and I felt like I just didn't want my like level to stop at simply just going to shows it's like not enough to be a fan of music I was like again the whole threshold thing I got to take it to the extreme let me now join a band you know like listening to music wasn't enough I need to take it to the next level of really submerging myself in the subculture and um yeah so like watching other bands like documentaries or dvds or you know I think I watched Black Dolly Murder Majesty and I was like oh my god that seemed like so much fun to just be a bunch of dudes on tour hanging out like playing sick riffs and, you know, people loving your band, like that just seems so awesome. And it, and it drifted away from being noticed by, you know, a girl to being like, just hanging out with your dude, hanging out with your friends and like touring the world and like playing music and just like having a good time. Um, so that, and that from that, I knew that like, at that point in time, I was playing guitar because that it just kind of fell into my lap. Um, guitar I thought was an instrument that I would not be able to play when like listening to bands that I was listening to I was like there's no way I can play these like guitar solos or these riffs like that's impossible like I couldn't even read tabs so let alone try to figure out how to play like an unearthed solo like there's no way in hell that I'm gonna be able to do this but um it fell in my lap because I was jamming with people and I was just like the only one not doing anything and someone told me how to play like drop tune power chords and I was like well I guess I can do this and it was around the time of my 18th birthday and I bought a guitar and from that point was like kind of super committed. Cause I was like, man, this is like kind of falling in line with the things that I'm like focusing on. Like I want to be in a band with my friends and tour the world, with my friends and like, I need to do this. So that's kind of how I got committed to it. And then um, like anything else, I get super obsessed with something and I'm very competitive cause I played sports my whole life and just haven't had that competitive edge. And I'm like, I need to be better than the next person. So I just, sad inside and, and uh, play a lot more. And then 
also not having a social life is really easy to play guitar a lot more often. <laughs> so, um, and still the girl thing didn't exist either. So having, <laughs> having, having more time there, just like, well, you know what, let me just dive into getting better at guitar. And then I started to really enjoy all of that and, and seeing the capabilities of what I can do on guitar. So, um, yeah, it just became like, again, another threshold and another obsession of, uh, of anything that I get into. So yeah, it was just the next level to just being a fan of music. So you mentioned, you know, around the 18, you know, so end of high school kind of period, you're clearly very focused on music, as you were saying, but, you know, was that the only thing you had in mind as a career or something you wanted to do, or you were looking at anything else to fall back on? Because some kids, when they're finishing high school, they're being told you need a career you need to be focused. You need to have this path sorted. But where were you when you were finishing high school? I mean, I knew that's what I wanted to do. And I had the pressure to go to college because like, I didn't know what else to do. And everyone else was around me doing it. And like, I just picked up guitar. So it's not like I can sit there and tell everyone around me, hey, I'm gonna be a guitar player in a band. They're like, you literally suck. (laughs) (laughs) You know, like it, it was that was where I was at. So it's kind of it's a hard conversation to explain to your family being like, yeah, I don't want to go to college. And I don't want to work, you know, some job because I'm going to make it in a band. It's like, okay, dude, you, I literally hear you play guitar and it's absolutely terrible. There's no way in hell. I didn't have that conversation, but like, I knew that I got to get better. And, and, and this is a new thing for me. So I was just in college cause I felt like that was the thing to do. But I think being in college really reaffirmed that I didn't want to do anything else besides music because, um, as I joined bands, when I finally was in college and like joining bands and started playing shows, um, I felt like this is giving me a sense of purpose and this is like something that I enjoyed. And of course, like comparing playing shows to school, obviously playing shows is going to win, but I just, there was something more than just like, this is fun. It was more like, this gives me meaning. And I felt like, even though I was doing really, really well in school, like I got good grades, I excelled. I went to school for accounting, which is a very boring um, subject, but I was really, really good at it. Cause I'm good at puzzles. I'm good at making sense of things. And, um, you know, it was fun to do it, but when um, I was in college, I just, someone came to a class and uh, he explained to me what his daily life was. And I was like, there's no way in hell that I'm going to be this person. Because during that same point in time, I just joined Lorna Shore and we were playing like weekend shows and traveling out of state and, and whatnot and like playing shows with my friends, which is what I wanted to do. And I was like, yeah, I don't want to, like the life you're explaining to me, which is going to be my end result, sounds horrible comparable to like what I'm currently doing like I'd rather be broke like playing shows in the middle of nowhere to nobody than like live that life and if you want to live that life that's perfectly fine just it didn't like resonate with me even though I was so good at it and like um uh I was glad that the teacher I had at that point in time in one of the classes like her son went to Berkeley College of Music for music and she was like it's a shame but I understand because my son literally did the same thing and I was like cool I'm out (laughs) <laughs> and uh just like kind of dropped out of school and just focused on the on music like a hundred percent you know just was like you know what this is what I want to do I wasted my time and money going to college that like I'm not going to keep doing that anymore so I'm not going to re uh, you know re-enlist um the next semester and, I, and I'm done with school and just focusing like full time on just working and, and trying to make this like my life where was the what was the family's reaction you know you mentioned how they're probably hearing how how bad you are at the time and how lack of ability you got. So what's their reaction when a, that's what you decide to focus on and b that you're dropping out of college to focus on it as well. At that point in time, they under they kind of understood 
to a degree because at that, like I was very involved in music. You know, we, I was playing shows every weekend. We were traveling out of state. I was barely home. Um, I was super involved and, and, and doing a lot of things. So at that point in time, they could somewhat understand but didn't. I don't think my family understood it until I did my first real, like, U.S. tour, which was in – like, we did tours before that, but in 2014 when, like, our van broke down, we had to get a rental van, and I came home, and there was money. They were like, wait, you're being serious with this. Like, you paid for this rental van with money you made from being on tour, and there was cash left over. So this must be a serious thing for you. And then two years later, they finally saw my band live, and we played, like, a 750, like – cap room and it was filled and um they were like okay this is a lot more serious and from that point in time my family understood because they got to experience it so it was it it was a gradual process i think you know the first few years they were like my family was giving me shit because like um i don't know i think they were thinking it was a phase Mm -hmm. but it wasn't until they actually got to see like okay there is potential for this and he he is you know committed to this and and there is like hope um, and I'm seeing growth in this that like, they kind of accepted it because I was like, my results weren't lying. Like, you know, I was able, I didn't have to ask my parents ever for money and never had to ask them for help. Like the band was financially uh, viable. Like I was, you know, working a job and at that point in time in between that, so I was doing anything I needed to do. So at that point they're like, well, this is what he wants to do. And I don't think we're going to, we need to get in his way and to stop him. But I think at first they were trying to convince me a little bit, um, to not really do it. And I don't blame them. Like as any any parent would, you want what's like best and like safe for your child. But um, and that's a very risky thing to do. But nonetheless, I think they kind of they understood it as the years have gone on. Like that, it's started to grow. It's doing better, and like it's starting to be financially viable. So they're like, okay, like this is what he wants to do, and like I can't stop him at this point. So, but it was definitely some convincing, and they had to like see it for what it was before they really were like, okay, I get it now. Yeah, I mean that's that's understandable, especially if yeah. what they're hearing is they're like, oh my god, there's no talent. Um, you know, at the, at the point in time when I had no talent, I wasn't even in a band, so like I didn't even bring up that conversation. I think I brought it up once, and I was like, yeah, I don't want to go to school. I want to like play music. So I was like, didn't want to re-register for the next semester, and and I think like my parents were like, well, you don't really do anything with it. You just kind of just sit in your room and play guitar. I'm not saying you're bad, but you're not really like you're not doing anything with it. So I was like, okay, you're right. So I stopped bringing that up until like I had my ducks in a row. I had a band, we were playing out of state. We were like recording records and we were funding music videos for ourselves and all that sort of stuff before they were like, Oh, okay, right. You're doing, this is what you're spending all your money on is on this thing. What about, um, you know, you mentioned earlier the local scene and you started going to local shows. What was that like for you when you started, you know, not only getting into the early bands, but started to really get into playing an instrument. Was there a very vibrant scene locally? And were you seeing examples of other bands that were kind of without, you know, it's not really a good phrase, but making it in a way? Yeah. I mean, thankfully, like I got into music during like the kind of early infancy of like the social media age. So it was a lot easier to find other artists. Like there was no other musicians around me. And I think I was so... I was so attached to making a band with my friend as I, with my friends as I earlier, as I earlier mentioned, um, that I was just like, so attached to like, I need to make a band with all of my close friends right now. And since I was the only one that was really dedicated to it, it was becoming really frustrating. 
but at that point in time, like MySpace was still was like a, alive and well, and it was a big music platform. And you would see bands all the time, like in their bio, being like looking for guitarists or looking for so and so. So, in the local area, it was really accessible to find other musicians because like it was the early stages of social media. Like if I had to think about doing it back in like the '80s or '90s, when you like go to like these bulletin boards, like literally in a music shop, and like that's how I think other bands have found other people. I wouldn't know how to like present myself where it was so much easier on social media to like meet people and connect with people. And like, I think there were bands that were getting signed or, you know, from our perspective, getting signed, which was just getting like a small, a really, really small indie label, picking them up and like putting out a record and like doing like basic touring. And I was like, Oh my God, like these, these bands are making it. And like starting to see those other bands do it, like let me know that that's possible or like seeing other local bands from other States like just be this undiscovered band that I just found out because of social media and like MySpace and, and whatnot. And then out of nowhere, like a year later or six months later, they're getting signed to like rise records or like metal blade and being like, Oh shit, this is a real band. Like it's really possible to be an undiscovered unknown bunch of kids from like the middle of nowhere and like become recognized by the industry. And I was like, wow, like even though we don't live in the middle of nowhere, Ohio or the middle of nowhere, like, in the Midwest, like I still was not like surrounded by like music. Um, and seeing that it was like so possible to be able to do it really inspired me and really showed me that like it is capable because there's other people in similar situations to myself doing it. So, uh, yeah, I mean, the scene was at that point in time, the local scene for sure was really alive and well, I, I think more so than more recently, or at least it felt like that way. Cause there was shows going on at all times. There were so many bands fighting to get on all these shows Whereas um, I think now because of social media, you don't have that couple year period of being in the local scene anymore. Like you can put out a good song or two with a music video and then you're getting snatched up right away. Whereas like we had to grind for a few years as a local band and like playing regionally before we started getting recognized like out of state. So um, I think the scene is different now because of like social media, in my opinion. Yeah, I think it's also different now that, you know, that grinding that you say, I think is also something that's kind of lost. I think a lot of, you know, I'm not disrespecting a lot of young bands that are starting, but you get the overall feeling they think that things should be handed to them a lot more now. And when you guys were coming up, a lot more of it was, I've got to put in the yards to get to the next step. I mean, I think that still was existing. I think there was people who had this more entitled uh, mentality um, during our period of time. We always had to claw and fight and like dig to get to like anything. So it just was a natural um, habit to have to fight and like work hard for it. Whereas I felt a lot of bands when we were coming up around the same time were because of the fact that they got this offer and they were signed to this label and had this management that they can like put their feet up, take their foot off the gas and go, well, now I can just coast because like I did all the hard work and now I have all these people to take care of me. When I was like seeing it as like, now my work has finally begun. I finally got quote unquote hired. If you think about it, like I finally got hired. So now I need to put in the work. Whereas I was seeing a lot of bands that were getting signed and recognized during a period of time doing a lot of that, which is why I feel like a lot of them more or less fell off because I think the work wasn't being put in. Hmm. Um, I don't, I don't say that it's, um, was, is different now than it is then. I just think it was, um, I feel like it's less noticeable than than it is now um because i think so many bands are getting recognized because of social media and like how influential it is in in, in the the trends and whatnot it just becomes um 
very easy to get lost in thinking, well, because of the fact that we have X amount of views on YouTube that I'm entitled to playing shows for all these people. And I think that um, because we were so used to working super hard that we had that nature about us that like it just kind of ingrained in kind of our workflow. Um, I think the moment and we've had moments where we take our feet off the gas and put our feet up and relax and it bites us in the ass every single time. So um, I've had I learned the hard way to be like, OK, when I start coasting is like the fall is going to happen soon. And every single time that happens, it, it totally does. And um, it just shows me that we have to consistently keep working hard and we still are working hard. So um, but yeah, that's just I think the difference between us and I think either other bands that was coming up at the point in time or I think. It's just also different now because you're getting noticed for something a lot less, I think, in my opinion, which is a good thing because I think now some bands are getting noticed um, easier and, and those bands deserve to get noticed. And I, I think that, you know, I'm just grateful that we had to work hard because now that's just like kind of part of like who we are as musicians. Yeah. Now let's um, talk about the birth of the band. You know, you mentioned early couple of bands and roll into Lorna Shore beginning or around the beginning of the 2010. Um, so how did the birth of the band come about? Um, you know, you mentioned about having a band together that were all best mates. So how did the process come about from you switching from other bands to Lorna Shore kind of really developing into an entity unto itself? Um, when I wanted to have a band of like all my good friends, like it didn't really happen. Like it was just like, we would try to jam and I would be super serious. And that's when I was like going to social media, trying to look for musicians. I'm like, okay, my friends aren't doing it. Like I'm frustrated. Like I just want to be in a band at this point. I'm tired of playing like in a room by myself at this point. So I joined a band um, and it was a band when I first met Tom Barber, uh, who was the original vocalist of Lorna Shore. And we, and that's how I got to meet him. And then I think a lot of the local bands were from that area. And we were friends and we were still close and he actually ended up, uh, that band ended up breaking up and he started, was in the beginning stages of Lorna Shore, which is around 2009. And he, uh, did their first EP triumph, uh, triumph. And then I think like five months later, I was just like, dude, I'm just tired of jamming with people. Like I want to join a band. He's like, actually funny. We're like thinking of kicking out our guitar player because he's just like, he's not being able to show up. And I'm like, cool. I don't really like, like your music, but like, I want to be in a band and play shows. Uh, I'm tired of like jamming with dudes in a basement and can't get on any shows. So like early 2009, I joined Lorna Shore or no, I'm sorry, uh, late 2009, I joined Lorna Shore. And then uh, they were like, we need to write a new EP. And then I was, they were like, well, the thing is, is that we got rid of our only songwriter. So you have to write a new EP. And I was like, okay. I was like, what do you guys want? They're like, we want to change our sound. And I'm like, cool, what do you want to sound like? And they're like, we don't know. And I'm like, cool, um, I don't know what I'm doing, so I'm just like shooting in the dark. And, th and I wrote the first EP, or my first EP with them, uh, Bone Kingdom, which I felt like that was like the early stages of the band. So I don't think I technically formed the band, but like I, at that point in time, it's not like much was really happening with the band. Um, and not saying until I joined, but I think it was until like the Bone Kingdom era that we started getting on more local shows and doing more things and playing out of state. And because of the fact that they were very held back by their other guitar player, they couldn't really play that many shows and or playing shows as a four piece or, or you know, or we're missing out on opportunities. So uh, that's kind of how it came about. Yeah, well, I kind of I'd, I'd agree that it kind of started around Bone Kingdom because that's the sound, the start of the sound that you know, Lorna Shore is kind of known for today. You know, you look back at Triumph, right. it was a bit more of a metal core-ish sound, you know, Bone Kingdom, 
you know, it's interesting you said you had no real idea what you're doing, but it, it sounded like you were definitely listening to quite a bit of deathcore at the time, and it kind of bled through. Yeah, well, the, the thing is, like, it, the end result, for me, it's just so different than the end result, because, like, I was in the room writing this stuff, and, like, I had four other contradictory stances, and a lot of people, a lot of people were mentioning what they don't want versus what they do want. So when you're hearing, I don't want to play riffs like this, and I don't want to play riffs like this, and riffs like this or parts like this, I don't really like to play long to, or I don't like like listening to. I want to hear something more like this, and I'm like, what the fuck do you do? And then I got lost in the mix of that because I was so focused on like writing for this person or for that person or for that person or for that person that I lost myself in this. And like, thankfully, at that point in time, me and our vocalist Tom were on the same page. So if I was writing for Tom, I think I was also relatively kind of writing for myself. Cause I was like, cool. Like he likes this stuff like this. And thankfully we're on the same page. So like, I'm kind of getting a little bit of a niche for of like, you know, a little bit of my own taste on it because I'm writing also for the stuff that he likes. But, um, yeah, the, the album is a mess. Every time I listen to it, I'll like, man, young Adam, what were you doing? Um, especially as a songwriter. But you know, as, as I preach to all my students that I teach, it just, you know, as you write more songs, you get better at writing songs. And I listen to that and it just hurts my ears every time when I put it on. And <laughs> people ask, well, why won't you ever play like Bone Kingdom? It's like, I would absolutely never play Bone Kingdom. Never in a million years. It's like, would you wear like clothes that you wore in high school? You look at your pictures of yourself and you're like, what was I thinking? And it, you wouldn't, it's like the same thing. It's like, I wouldn't, I'm just like, what was I thinking? Why would I do this? Um, but yeah, it was definitely was a mess. And I th- think like Malphysium was, I feel like, my first approach of being like, I don't care what anybody thinks. I am doing what I want to do. And if you guys are on board, cool. If not, the door is there and you can leave if you want to. But I'm done sacrificing myself in order to make someone else happy who isn't happy, which I don't, this is why I don't believe in a compromise. So I was like, I'm doing what I want to do because there's no one else in my way telling me what to do. So I just did what I wanted. And that's kind of, I feel like the real start of the sound because that's when I, I really put myself into the music. Cause I felt bonking was me kind of being a people pleaser where Malphysium was me being like, I'm doing what I want to do. And like, not fuck you for opposing, but fuck you if you oppose. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think, I think probably uh, another way of putting it is it became a lot more focused, streamlined, you know, there was clearly a mission yeah. statement from um, then onwards, you know, you're looking into uh, Psalms and flesh coffin, you know, it seems focused, um, did you also notice that Bone Kingdom, was that giving you any sense of momentum? You know, you mentioned little weekenders and little treks. Was that where you saw momentum start to pick up or was it the following um, EP that really gave you the momentum? So when Bone Kingdom was out, we were able to play like regional stuff. So we were playing out of state. We would do small like one week, 10 day tours, playing the middle of nowhere to nobody. Um and I think it wasn't until Malphysium came out that we received a lot of traction. And the process between Bone Kingdom and Malphysium was such a long or felt like a long, arduous process because of like so many other factors involved. So we recorded, we released Bone Kingdom in um, 2012. Yeah. 2012, yes. Um, that was recorded in 20, uh, 2010. It just took so long because the fact that the producer wasn't giving us our stuff and he was like not sending us our mix and masters and it was just taking forever. And then we like lost members and it just was a long process. Finally came out 2012. We then recorded Malphysium and also in 2012. 
That didn't come out till 2013 because same situation. Producer wasn't giving us our stuff. So we were able to only release songs in drips and drabs. And, you know, it kind of slowed the momentum down because we were recorded in the summer of 2012, like literally like this time in 2012. And, uh, and we released our first song in like May of 2013. And then we were like shooting a music video for Godmaker. And then like we released another song because the producer finally gave us another song to release. And then we finally got Mix and Masters back in, I think, in the fall of 2013, which we were able to release it. And at that point in time, we were emailing like every like industry person like, hey, we're releasing an EP. We have a music video shot. And like everyone was just like, no, don't care. You're, you're not a big enough band yet. And then the moment we released Malficium with the music video, our emails just exploded with all the people that basically said no to us were like, hey, like interested in working with you. And I'm like, funny, I sent you the video. I sent you the music. And I told you we're doing all this stuff in the next coming months. And you told me I am not big enough. I am not ready for you. And there's nothing you can do for me. That was a constant email I got. And I was like, and at that point in time, because we're getting rejected by everyone in the industry, I was like, well, if nothing happens with this EP. I'm going to move onwards because I put my all into this. I'm getting turned down and nothing's going to happen. But literally within, I think we released the EP like in December and say with the music video by January, we were get we were like starting to sign contracts with like management booking agents, labels and stuff like that. And, uh, yeah, I think that was what really got us noticed by the industry. But I think bone kingdom allowed us to get noticed just by people and like hear the name because we're able to, we played around, we played in like most of the U S at that point in time, maybe like minus like the West coast and like the South, but we played in a lot of different places. Um, you know, a huge portion, maybe a third of the country. So people were just familiar with the band the, the internet age was coming up, so people were just seeing our band more often, or band name, because you know music gets around a lot quicker nowadays or back then, and especially nowadays. And uh, I think Malf because people knew the band, and then I think our music was a lot better. It um, I think was really um, it just kind of developed like this snowball effect, if you will. So um, yeah, I think Malfism gave gave us that like opening, like allowed us to open the door. I love that you know you're sending all these people. You know, that shows anyone listening, you know, don't take the rejection emails, you know, keep going because that's, oh, I love that. They're all saying, nah, 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 you know, you're not big enough. You don't want a bar of it. And then it all comes out and they're like, actually, yeah, we want to, yeah, we want to deal with you now. Yeah. Adam. And, and uh, I, I tell people this because everyone asks me, like when I tour, like other local bands, like what is advice that you'd give me? And I'm like, I don't say wait for people to contact you, but you will have the upper hand if you have the industry people reach out to you. Every time I've reached out to people, it's been like I'm on my knees begging you to like notice me and it's never worked out when they've been like, oh shit, like I can't help but like not look away and I keep keep seeing this band name. They will contact you. The industry people do know who you are. Uh, I want to put that out there. They're aware of because that's their job. It just you just haven't done something to reckon to like prove your worth, if you will. But I mean, I still think there was something to be said about reaching out and like getting a bunch of no's to three months to four months later being like, actually, and nothing has changed. And we, we gave them everything. And like, it's, it's not like I was like withholding an EP and music video. They were like, yeah, no, I don't really like see anything with it. And then thankfully, Scotty and Lewis from Carnifex saw the video and he, and he, and they had a space on that tour. So Shout out to Betraying the Martyrs for dropping off that tour because we were able to get on that first full U.S. tour and that like really started the snowball effect. So um, for us, at least, that was like the first like real like, holy shit, we're touring with real bands. Um, that was a big kick in the ass for us. What about, you know, um, 
without jumping too far forward with the music as it's gone forward, you know, you're in, you know, in the industry there has been trends that come and go, but there's also genres in heavy music that kind of stick around and, you know, you get put in a genre and then you kind of, you want to make sure you're standing out from the pack. You don't want to just become another same, same band. And that's something that as you guys have gone on, you've made sure that you haven't, you know, you're quite distinct in the genre. Um, you're not the standard, you know, it's got matured. Is that something you've intentionally done with your music to stand out or have you not worried about standing out and it's just naturally happened? A little bit of both. Um, I think one, I'm not really into deathcore as much as people think I am. I listen to more like like extreme metal bands, like black metal bands, like death metal bands. So I draw a lot of my influence from that. Um, <laughs> realistically speaking, why we put breakdowns in our music, especially on Malphysium, was that because I wanted to go do- more towards a metal route. Mm-hmm. But I realized that our, the New Jersey and the Northeast scene is definitely very hardcore driven. That if we didn't have heavy parts, no one would come to our shows and no one would like us. So we put heavy parts and breakdowns in our songs simply for the fact that like we want people to come to our shows. Um, otherwise, they, if we're just a straight like death metal band, um, not, not that we were a death metal band even at that point in time, but if we tried being a more like extreme metal band, I don't think we would have as much success. But because of the fact that like we felt like we needed to put that in our music um, out of necessity versus like desire, not that I didn't like it, but it was just felt like if we just have all blast beats and, and riffs and solos, no, like no one's going to care in the Northeast. Like it just doesn't work like that. Um, so if, if So that was kind of why we added it. Um, I, you know, I come from a more, and I or came to a more, you know, mature extreme metal, like influence than, than anything else. Like I wasn't really listening to bands that we tour with. And I was grateful to listen to bands that we tour with because it gave me stuff to be like, I don't want to do this. Mm-hmm. Like it, it allowed me to see what everyone else around me is doing and go, cool. I appreciate you're doing this. And I'm, I'm, and I love you as a friend. And I think you guys do this well. I'm going on the other direction and trying to do something else, trying to put my spin on, on, on things. And I've always really been conscious of like, this is what everyone else is doing. Cool. Let's do something different, which is why I feel like our artwork has always been different. I feel like, um, our symbols have always been, uh, we've tried to brand ourselves with like symbols. We tried to like, do use different imagery. We try to do things and to our best, you know, ability. Some people would look at it and be like, there's no difference between you and these other bands and that's fine. But I feel like I want to give an honest approach and like do something that's, different than everyone else around me. And I think because of the fact that like I'm one conscious of it and two, I don't really listen to the style of music that we, that, that we're in, not because of the fact that I'm like trying to be like cool or anything like that. I just, it doesn't really move me as much as it used to. Like I used to love listening to like Whitechapel and Carnifex and Oceano and Despise Icon. And I think as I've gotten more into guitar, I kind of cared less about deathcore because I felt deathcore itself felt more about the vocalist and less about music. Or the, and I was like, you know what, like, how can I adopt this, like, cool sounding vocals with, like, interesting sounding music? Because I listened to, like, death metal and, like, black metal bands and, like, vocalists were kind of just, like, eh. But like, the music was really awesome. So I was like, how can I merge and, like, fuse the two worlds of, like, having really, really good vocals with, like, interesting interesting music? Because I felt like vocals and, like, more death metal were just, like, another layer. It's not really a focal point. It's just more so adding to the aggression. And it's not really, to me, it doesn't feel like a focal uh, point. And uh, that's always been my stance is it has been like trying to merge the two worlds. And I said, I would always look at weak points within the deathcore genre specifically being like the musicality is like not there. It's just like centered around this vocalist screaming 
And I'm like, you know what? Like that just like turns me away more and more. It's like, there's no, to me and no musicality and, and, and my, so not that not taking shots on anyone. It's, it's simply just like from, from what I would listen to my threshold for what I thought was really awesome musically, it just like, wasn't there. It was just more so like how heavy can we make it and how cool can we make it for a vocalist to scream something on? And I just got really dry by that. And I was just trying to add something that wasn't really being done at least in our, in, in our small bubble. Well, I think, I think it's given the band longevity, um, to be honest, because, you know, all the trends that are come and gone, new metal, metalcore, deathcore, a lot of those bands that, um, you know, and it's not taking shots, as you said, that, that have stuck to that vocal-centred, breakdown-centred stuff, majority of them, 80%, have come and gone. Um, but you guys, because you're not run-of-the-mill, have lasted, you know, so far, a long time, and hopefully it keeps going. Um, a big stage, I feel, or a big moment was the full-length debut, uh, Psalms. That is when I noticed people start mentioning Lawn Ashore as a band. You know, I had mates at the time that were obsessed with Deathcore, and they're like, dude, you got to check out this band. They're way more dark and heavier, but they're Deathcore. You know, was that um, an album looking back on that was a big step for you? Are you happy how that album came out in the end? No. Absolutely not. <laughs> Absolutely not. That was, um, I think to me, it's one of my most grateful albums because I think it was the greatest learning experience as a band. But I think it's one of my least favorite works. Mm. Um, I think because I learned so much on doing that record of what not to do. Like at that point in time, I was writing logically, not authentically. I was writing what I should be doing. I was writing out of insecurity being like, I want people to know that I'm a good guitar player. So let me just write a bunch of nonsensical riffs in a song because the fact that I want people to be like, oh, Adam can play guitar. It was it was coming rooted in insecurity. It wasn't rooted in like, I'm a confident guitar player. It was rooted in like, I don't, I'm not getting noticed. So I want people to notice me. So let me do all this nonsense. Trickery. And uh, it, it was that, and it wasn't, I was learned. I learned how to write songs. I mean, I, we put it together with just like a bunch of parts all thrown together in a song. Like, there's so much that I learned on that record of being prepared, understanding how an album cycle works. Because that was our first real experience of being like signed to a label and having to do things in a timeline. Because everything else was released at our own volition. So, I'm glad that people like it. When people mention they like songs, I, I feel like they're a real one. Because I'm like, if you are dated that far back and you like a pre and you stuck with us during Psalms, then like you're a true fan. Because for me, I didn't want to stick with the band when we released songs. You know, I was just kind of like, man, I don't know what I'm doing. You know, it's like, there's things that we learned about it. I think there's a lot of maybe more songwriting and like stylistic things that I implemented and applied more often. Like I tried applying more technical riffs. I tried applying more darker riffs and tried writing more heavier stuff. Like that was my approach of like learning as a songwriter. Like that is literally an album of me learning how to be a songwriter. So if anyone wants to like listen to that, it's, it's Adam learning how to be a songwriter. Like that's the point of the record. Um, and I think sonically it didn't sound that great. I think the mix and master are, are really bad. I mean, Tom's vocal production wise came out really bad. Um, and it was weird because I was in the room when Tom was tracking it and I was like, damn, that sounds sick. And then I hear playback and I'm like, what is going on with his vocals? And I'm just like, I didn't know anything. I didn't say anything. So I'm like, well, these guys are the professionals. Like they'll do their, they'll, they'll somehow make it sound good. And then it didn't sound good. Um, but it's, it's a, for the longest time, it was the only record I had in my car. It's still to this day. I think I have one more in my car. And every time like my aux cord would come out, 
it would play the CD and like and like Psalms would play, and I'm like, turn it off, turn it off, turn it <laughs> off, and like it's over the years has like made its way through the record, and I'm just still like embarrassed by it, um, only because of the fact that like I think there's just like a lot wrong with it. But again, it it is such a monumental album in my songwriting process, and I think how we wouldn't have had Flesh Coffin if Psalms didn't exist because I learned so much of what not to do and how to be prepared and how to write better songs. I started taking more lessons and started learning more about songwriting and researching more about songwriting and like just really ripping that album apart to figure out how to be a better musician that I think that was the point of that record. I don't really think that like sonically and like musically is a record that I'm like a big fan of, but it was just my experimentation with trying to write more of like what we do. Well, I mean, it did it. It, looked from an outside in it it was the start of you guys the shows are getting bigger and bigger the tours are getting bigger and bigger you know you guys are popping up on more shows popping up on more tours um it surely gave you that at least out of it oh yeah i mean definitely like it it, it maintained the momentum it's not like the band like plummeted from that Mm. point um but i think that uh thankfully we had good people in our corner and able to get us on good tours and Thankfully, there's people that liked us as people to be like, let's put this band on tour. Like, I like them, you know. Um, I don't want bands to, uh, like, underestimate that, like, the power of being a good band on tour. Not just a good performer, but being good dudes that other people want you around will get you um, other gigs. So Mm. keep that in mind when you're playing. And we always try to do that. We always try to be, like, friends with everyone. Not to, like, out of, like, um, gain, but, like, because of the fact that people just liked us as people were like, yeah, let's bring out Lorna Shore again. Like, that's how we got returned Carnifex kids because – gigs because they liked us and uh they were like yeah like this band and they're a good band so let's put them on tour again so thankfully like people liked us as people to get us on tours and um i look back at the the expectation of what i had for that record just like definitely fucking sucked um and i definitely (laughs) dropped the ball as as a musician but i think i learned a ton from it and i'm like again i'm very very grateful for it but uh yeah i mean like it's funny that you look on the outside you're like you guys are getting on bigger shows and you're doing more things and i'm just like looking at it from like the pure music standpoint of like I am so embarrassed playing these songs. And then I I was very like stubborn and like hard headed and like, why are we not getting any bigger? Like, like, you know, these are some of the best songs I've ever wrote. And I'm just like, then like five months later, I'm like analyzing and I'm like, no, it wasn't. These are horrible. (laughs) So uh, yeah, I'm glad they maintain the momentum to be able to put out Flesh Coffin because like that's something that I'm like, it could have gone worse where we put out, we could have been a one and done band where people are like, yep, nope. That's it. The band doesn't have it, and like they could have no other opportunity. So I mean, then you know, you mentioned Flesh Coffin. What's your feelings on that then? Because you guys start going down a real darker, you know, and a compliment black metal feeling style from that album onwards. Um, it feels like personally. Um, how do you feel about Flesh Coffin? Are you happy with Flesh Coffin, or do you still pick oh, it that apart? Has a, that has a more special place in my heart than Immortal does. To be completely honest, like that's a record that. I don't think the songs are better, but there's something about that aura and that record that like I hold it near and dear to my heart. Like it means it means that record means the world to me, just not from like the songs, but simply just like I think it was me coming into myself of being like a songwriter, a musician and being like, I guess, a confident. I think that was like the peak of going from like insecurity to being like, I think I can do this. And I think that was the the lessons I learned doing Flesh Coffin was just I think just kind of like. I don't know, like the rite of passage, if you, if, 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 you know, if you will, because like everything I wanted to do on Flesh Coffin, like tour, the bands I wanted to tour with, I wanted to get on Summer Slaughter, did Summer Slaughter with Black Dolly Murder, playing Nocturnal in its entirety, and toured with Dying Fetus on that same tour. I was like, because of Flesh Coffin, got went to Europe, 
because of Flesh Coffin did headline tours because of Flesh Talk, Flesh Coffin. People started recognizing the band because of that album, and it's like it really, really like I don't know. I think I just input so much of myself into that record because because of Psalms, and then we did Absolution of Hatred after Psalms, like that single that I felt like I wasn't being myself, that Flesh Coffin was allowed, like, I think I just reconnected with, like, I am going to be me. Like, I don't really care what that looks like. That me, if that's me writing more, like, quote-unquote, more emotional style music, if that's me writing, like, less deathcore and more metal, like, so be it. Like, I want to do what I want to do. Like, I only have one life to live, and I only have one opportunity to do this. Like, I want to leave something behind that, like, is going to be eternal. And that was like my headspace. It was like, I was like, I need to leave, like I can die at any point. And I, I want to leave something behind that like is, I can exist um, past that. And that's where like my, and I was like, I, I, I would be regretting doing something that like other people are telling me to do. So I want to leave something behind and leave it all in the field as if it's just me. And I feel like that's like the first record that I like, just put me into every single song. Like every song was, yeah, I wanted it to be that way. Now when I, when I look at it, it's like, there's a lot to learn, but like every single song, every single part, I was a hundred percent sold on. There was not one idea that I was like, eh, I don't really care for it. There's other ideas that I cared more for, but there was never a part on that song when I was writing that record. And even a year after that, where I was like, I don't really care for this. It was a record I was so proud of. And like, I still think I'm more proud of that record than Immortal um, for different reasons. I think Immortal songs are better, but I think there's something about Flesh Coffin that like, I'm still trying to figure out to this day what it is. And I, it, it really, I think, is the record that means the most to me so far. Yeah, it's fucking sick, man. Oh, love it. Um, it it was a bad, not bad, wrong phrase. It was a, a struggle for the band, though, because the album comes out, it's getting really well received from memory, and then Tom decides, basically, you know, I'm leaving. You know, I've had Tom on the show, and he, he phrased it that, he wanted to take a step up and he had an opportunity to take a step up. And for me as a fan of Lorna Shaw, that felt a bit rude. Um, but, you know, it was, a, what was it like for the band that you've got Flesh Coffin out and then Tom leaves? Are you thinking maybe we call it quits or do we keep grinding or what's yeah, the feeling? I mean, that was definitely a thought. Like, but I think that um, I'm like so a hundred percent in this band's corner that like, I couldn't like, because I did Flesh Coffin, like that's my child. I couldn't leave that child on the side of the road. Like I put my all into that and I'm just like, I couldn't just be like, yeah, fuck it. That's it. Let me leave. I mean, it definitely like was a blow and definitely like, an ego blow to be like, Oh, I want to go join a bigger band. I'm not going to deny that. And, uh, and I think that things worked out the way that it's supposed to, in my opinion, I don't think Tom would have been the right vocalist for immortal. Um, there's elements about flesh coffin that I love because of Tom. I think that lyrically, I think I connected more to that than any other record. Like I don't, I don't connect to Immortal at all, um, lyrically. Um, Flesh Coffin, I totally did. Like there's songs that like even I didn't have anything to do with the lyrics. It was just like there's some force out there that like was he was writing to speak to me at some point. Like I just, I just felt like that because I was like listening to Funeral Moon and I was like he's literally writing lyrics describing what I'm kind of feeling without me even, ex I didn't ex explain anything what I was going through. I just like, like heard the song for the first time with vocals, read the lyrics and I was like, what the actual fuck? And, um, so I had that connection to it. And, and I think that's something that's been missed within the band was, I think that sort of connection lyrically to the music. I think lyrically they, they, their songs that were like completely like spot on and maybe other songs, maybe not, but that's, a, but I think the songs that were super spot on were a hundred percent spot on. And it was like, really painting the picture of like what the band wants to like sound like. 
Um, I also think that like we were going in a different direction musically. And I think what Tom wanted out of music is, I think, different. I think if you look at like Chelsea Grin versus us, I think they're two polar opposites. Mm. Um, I think that's more what he was wanting because I think he was just like, yeah, like I just kind of want like, you know, he'd always say things. I want to write more of like a, you know, heavier record. And I'm just like, I want to write a very musically interesting record. I don't want to sell myself out and just write like a dumbed down heavy record. So there was a lot of disconnect and it made sense like. At first, I was very upset because I was, you know, friends with Tom and I was close to Tom. And, you know, we've as a band, I very uh, I was very proud that like we were still close as friends. So it definitely like upset me because I also lost a friend. And, you know, I think our friendship was going down the hill because of being in a band together and being on different pages. But um, I think it made sense when it happened, when I look back on it now, because I don't think neither one of us, myself or, or the band or him would, I think, um it wouldn't benefit from us just fighting through it. Um, I, I think that we're also in better situations now. I think our band, I think is, is better. Uh, and I think he's in a, in, and I think he made that band better because I think he's a better vocalist. So, I, and I think that's, um, it's awesome. And I think that he's always deserved the light that he gets as much as I was angry. I still said to myself, like, he's a great vocalist. And, and I think that he's, um, he's someone that deserves to be in that light. It's just upsetting that I couldn't give him that light. So I definitely will like definitely took it to heart. But, um, and it definitely upset me, but we're on good terms now. Like we talk, like we'll respond to each other's story. I'll, you know, we don't have any, any bad blood. And, and I'm, I'm glad because like I said, it's someone that like I was close with. I, you know, spent a lot of time on tour with, we were friends, like, you know, it, that just kind of upset me. Um, but you know, I get it, it, it at the end of the day, it, it, you have to do what's best for you. You can't just like, cause like I said, I sacrificed making a band with my friends to go join another band. So like, you know, even though that was his, at a different point in time, it's like, you kind of have to do what's best for you. So I'm not going to, I don't really, ha- I don't really hold anything against them. I think at first I was very angry and like upset, but um, as time went on and I realized that like we can still exist because we never had a change vocalist. Like that was, it was a new experience that I'm like, I don't know what to expect. Like we never had a change vocalist before. We never had to do member changes. Like we don't know, this is new to us, um, especially at this stage in the game, like what's going to happen. And I think when we kind of got through that, like relatively unscathed, um, I was like, okay, cool. Like I don't harbor any like negative ill feelings for him because we're able to still do what we want to do. And there's not, there's nothing wrong with it. So, um, but yeah, it definitely was upsetting. I'm not gonna, I'm, I'm, I don't deny that. And, uh, but I think that it was bound to happen because, you know, at that point in time, like we weren't on the best of terms, we were at each other's throats, you know, we definitely didn't get along. I think we just wanted different things out of the band and, um, that'll, that'll happen. Well, I mean, obviously, you know, you mentioned, you know, not getting along. It was obviously a blessing in disguise because, you know, everyone's been able to go on and do things. And, you know, the last thing you would want is the internal struggle and then it just, you know, self-implodes. So understandably it hurt, you know, it hurt anyone really. Um, But it's also good to hear that you guys are, you know, amicable and, you know, not holding grudges against each other anymore because that's also what you want to hear at the end of the day that, you know, Things part their ways, but you guys still, you know, respect each other enough to, you know, say hi and all that jazz. Yeah, I mean, I think we as a band were waiting for him to reach out to us to be like, yo, I apologize. And I think one day I had a thought, I was like, I'll never get that. So I think it was like literally about like this time last year, I said, fuck it. I like sent him a long email. I didn't, because I, I was like, I don't know if I have your number, but I'll just send you an email anyway. And, and just, and I also, I think I actually texted to his old number. I was like, not sure if you have this. I just sent it to like his email and his, um, 
phone number. And I was like, I'm not sure if you use any of this, but like, fuck it. And if no one answered, then I was going to try to send it to him. And I sent him this long, long thing. And I was just like, and, and I felt like good to get that like weight off my shoulders. And it allowed me to like see him in a different light. So I'm like, you know what? Like as I grown up, it's like, I'm very much about like taking responsibility mm-hmm. and owning your side of the street. Cause I do think victim and, and blame is it's like blame and responsibility are the opposite side of the same coin. Like you can be just as responsible as you are a victim. Um, and I'm just like, how am I responsible for this happening? And it felt better than being like blaming him. Cause I think at first I was just like blaming him, like, damn you. And like this, that, and the other thing. And I was like, well, how can I, how do I like, and I had to look in the mirror and be like, what is it that I did? And that allowed me to be like, you know what? Like my bad, like this is, here's the things that I did. Like I'm happy for you. And just like being able to say that, like, really took a lot for me because I felt like I had to like just put my pride to the side and be like fuck it just say what you have to say and like just be like become a man at this point and like I think that a lot of people especially in the music world have so, so much pride that they don't want to admit when they're wrong and like rather be right and be pr- proud than like just be like yo honestly like this is my shit and I'm sorry and I'm not here to come at you <clears throat> for your shit like I'm just talking about speaking from like what is it that I'm responsible for and I felt like that was just me like again coming more into adulthood and just being like i think just a better individual because i was just like hey like i'm responsible for like this side of the street and i think that allowed us to mend a relationship so yeah i mean that to be where where it's at i mean mad mad respect and love for you for doing that because one of the big phrases i have in life and i mean it for both um any male or female is it takes a real man to um own up to their mistakes or they're part of the game so um the fact that you did that shows great maturity and you know um self uh, awareness um so a lot of love for you man for yeah thank you i've done like a lot of work like internally Mm. and uh you know i'm just i think on a daily basis always trying to be like how am i responsible for this outcome like what is it that i've done to create this and um that was like my first like step and to being like cool how did i create this and like how did this manifest itself and like well, how, how do I play a role because mm. it's really easy to point the finger and go this is your fault but it's really really difficult to point the finger on yourself and go what is it that I did mm. um and it's and it's easy to feel innocent like I didn't do anything all this person did this and and I'm the one to blame you know I'm it's easy for me to blame them but it's like I've caused this in some degree because this this has happened um while I've been around and, and I played a part and it's hard to own up to it and it's and, and I challenge people to when they see the relationships going south, like the first thing to do is look in the mirror and go, what did I do to cause this? Because it's allowed me to mend relationships in my life past that in a way that has been more supportive because it's it's not a bad thing. It doesn't make you weak for being like, yo, I made a mistake and this is not responsible for. I think if anything, it, it it's more admirable and requires a lot more courage than being like so right that someone did something so wrong to you. Yeah. And, and that's my opinion. I mean, like I said, yeah, it's well said. And remember, everyone, it takes two to tango. Um, you know. that's, that's been my that's my been my thought. When I started realizing that, like, it's these these things happen amongst two people, it does take two to tango. Then, like, I obviously have to be responsible for my side of the street. Um, it's a shame sometimes that people are not responsible for their side, but it mm-hmm. doesn't change the fact that I can be responsible for my side. Yeah. Um. So you know, Tom leaves, CJ joins, and it seems like momentum isn't slowing down. You guys uh, really haven't skipped haven't skipped a beat. And everything seems fine, and then you guys announce Immortal, and then don't want to talk about it too much because it's all in the media at the moment, and it was in the media. But a shitstorm is a polite way of saying it. Um, <laughs> is probably the simplest way of putting it. 
Um, yes. At the time that this all goes down, understandably and correctly, he's removed from the band. Are you at this stage thinking, oh, you know, we had to lose Tom. Then we got this shit with CJ. Uh, what the fuck's going on with the band? Um, you know, what's the period like for you in the band uh, processing wise? Because Immortal was supposed to come out. It's such a loaded, you know, I'm trying to find a delicate way of talking about this, but, you know, Immortal was supposed to come out. CJ's on the album. You then have this stuff with CJ happen, and then you go, well, we're not going to release Immortal. And then down the track, you do release Immortal with CJ on it. Um, so shitstorm. So what what can you say or talk about that happened? Okay, so I'll talk about the whole, because there's multiple layers to this. Mm. So Momentum didn't stop because we still had studio time booked to do two songs. So when Tom left, we were about to go, when he called me, we were like about to go to the studio in like two weeks um, with Josh to do This Is Hell and Darkest Spawn. So we got home from tour. We had two weeks to go into the studio, and he was just like, the first day he's like, yo, I'm going to do this tour. We're like, okay, cool. That was on a Friday. Um, What myself and Austin did is we reached out to other vocalists who maybe know other vocalists. Like, you know, people have asked me like, Hey, do you know any guitar player looking to fill in on tour? And people have asked Austin, do you know any drummers that you would recommend? So we were calling some vocals at that point in time. Um, we just did some headlining and routing shows with signs of the storm. So Austin called CJ asking about David who actually now is in signs of the storm. Um, when that happened, uh, he was like, actually like, Hey, like I'm actually looking to leave the band. I think I would be a good fit for the band. So we got him, and we went right into the studio, did two songs. When I talk about like feeling good, because I was able to like write two songs that I was like, cool, like these songs sound really, really good. Like I'm stoked about that. Um, did those two songs, and then we announced that CJ's in the band. We released a music video, and then um, we had Darkest Spawn, and then we were waiting to release that. Then we were getting ready to go into the studio, which was in February of 2019. Um, did the rest of the record to the other eight songs, finished that up. And before that, we lost our other guitar player, Connor, at that point in time, like oh, two weeks before going in the studio. So at this point, just like, what the fuck? Um, it basically just feels like it's just me and Austin in the studio, which it was. And then um, the record was supposed to come out on Summer Slaughter of 2019. Um, we were preparing for it. Then right as we're about to, like, we turn, getting ready to turn everything in, you know, start ready to start shooting the videos, getting artwork done, blah, 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 blah. The label pulls and goes, we're not putting out the record you guys got to need to find a new record. We're like, we had to deal with that whole mess. So that whole summer from around Memorial day through summer slaughter, through labor day, we were like, I was on the phone calling lawyers, calling late. I was on the phone with labels. I was on the phone with other management companies. I was like doing all of that during that point in time. So for people, I tell people this for people that have been complaining about immortal, not coming out when it was supposed to believe me, we wanted to come out when we we're supposed to, I had to go jumped through so many hoops to finally make this happen because I was like busting my ass on top of being on a very demanding tour like Summer Slaughter because if anyone's ever been on it, it's an all-day escapade. And uh, we finally got picked up by Century Media. They're like, hey, we're, we're getting ready to do videos. Um, and uh, we shot three videos in two days. We shot Immortal, Hollow Sentence, and um, King of Deception. And then we're getting ready to go on that tour, that fit for an autopsy tour. And got home from that tour, released the Immortal video. And I was like, and we, were, we released a Death Portrait video on that tour, released the Immortal video. And I was like, man, there's, I can finally see the light at the end of the tunnel. Like, we finally made it. We found a label. We got videos coming out. People were like, 
enjoying the band. Like um, we're getting tour offers. Like I'm so I'm like so excited that like for this record to finally come out. So we released Immortal, and I just felt like cause I was getting interviews after interviews. I was doing like I was having interviews every single day on Skype, and I was like, oh my god, like, this is amazing. Like I cannot wait. This, this is great. And then we finally got um, information about that. And to be completely honest, like we were ready to part ways with CJ anyway. Um, we knew that going into this year that he was not going to make it out mm. of this year. Like he was not going to be in the band. We were like, if the record came out when it was posted on Summer Slaughter, he wouldn't have been on that Fit for an Autopsy tour. Like we were, everyone at the band, every everyone else was in our camp, even people that we hired as crew members didn't want to rework with us because of, you know, because of it. And, and I think we were just at a point where we, uh, we're just kind of parting ways with them. You know, we were just not on the same page. I think there's many things that was inhibiting us as a band. And I think the stuff that we got when, you know, all that stuff happened, it was more so like the last straw. Like there were so many other things and we were like, okay. And everyone was like, just put your head down, get through putting out the record. And then we'll cross that bridge after the record comes out. And I'm like, okay, the record comes out literally in a month at that point in time. And I was like, fine, cool. Like there's not, we're not on tour. It's the holidays. I'm not really to see him. I'll do, you know, we're, we're going to go to Asia, but I'm going to be in Asia. So who cares, you know? And then, uh, and he was even saying that he was going to quit the day the record came out, which I don't understand, but nonetheless, like that's what was, what I was being told. Um, and that's what stuff I've seen that he wanted to quit or quit after Europe or whatnot. So it, it was not going to work out anyway. And I think that was like the final straw. And then we didn't know how the record was going to come out. I know we didn't say that we were not releasing the record with him on it. I think that was information that might have gotten skewed, but we specifically never mentioned that. We just weren't sure how the record was going to be released. But the label was like, we already got vinyl printed. And because we have to put, you have to turn in for vinyl like four months in advance, four to five months in advance. And they were already turned in. Um, so there, the, there was already a ton of vinyl already printed. Um, and we're like, well, let's just release it with him on it. Like we're, these videos are done. The songs are already getting ready to go, come out. Like we, you know, we're going to release it with this. And, um, yeah, it was just a really hard move to make. And we were just like, well, like, I don't know how I feel about this, but like rightfully so he was on the record. There's nothing I can do to change that, you know? Um, and, uh, yeah, it was a very, very frustrating point. And on top of that, I was getting ready to move down to North Carolina so I was in the process of moving while dealing with all of this stuff. And I was just like, holy shit, this is like, there's so much on my plate. So it was uh, a lot to deal with. And then we had to find a new vocalist and then get them ready to go on tour and, and all that stuff. So it, it was just a big mess to clean up. So a part of me is super grateful for COVID because it allows things to die down and us to like gather our surroundings a little bit. But um, me and Austin joke about it, that it would only make sense that this year is the way that it is because Immortal was basically like um, the kidney stone of the Lorna Shore Records collection <laughs> because of the fact that like um, we just wanted it to come out and then you just want to be done with it and never have to experience it ever again. Because I think from beginning of the Immortal cycle to the end, there was nothing but like onset of problems because like first two songs we wrote were meant for Tom on vocals. Then we lost Tom in the process, right? Then we finally make up for it and then we go then we lose we lose connor during the writing process getting ready to go in the studio then uh we lose our label having to re-figure out that and then we part ways for a vocalist before the uh record comes out and then about to go on tour and then COVID happens so like the the record from beginning to like 
end has been nothing but like nonsense. So it makes sense of why the, things are the way they are at this point. So, I mean, let's first off talk about those initial, if we can, let's talk about a couple of things. You know, you're saying the initial um, legal issues that you got going on when you're doing Summer Slaughter. Um, was that about the album itself or was that about the label? I mean... The label. We were, okay. we were, we were transferring from label and I think our label was collapsing and they were trying to figure out if they were going to sell us off to another label and then our lawyer was like, you can't do that. So you have to get an, and then they were not budging and they wanted to get an offer. So it was just a lot of like trying to negotiate money and, and make our previous label happy. And then, so we're basically kind of just being hoard off, if you will, to just being sold. Um, and that was basically that it was like, then Century Media thankfully came up and like bought us out of our contract was like, cool, we're going to do it nice and neat and sound. Here's a bunch of money. We're buying them out of the contract. We're buying them and. And that was that because some of the other stuff would have been like we would have to owe money to even like just have the record come out. No music videos, no nothing, because some of the offers that we we're getting were like not even including like the price of the album. So it would have been more of a nightmare. The record would have been came out even later with no music videos, anything else like that. So thankfully, Century did. So so we uh, I, I do love our lawyer, Lauren, for that, because he was super awesome and was like really fighting for us every single day and like really trying to work super hard. So I do appreciate that. And then, um, our thank for our current manager, Jason, for being, getting involved and like really helping navigate that. And obviously thanks to Mike Gitter and Century Media for all that, because they really like saved us and came in at the 11th hour. And like, I, I don't want to say save the band, but like really like we were just kind of like, there was conversations where like the band might have to break it up and come together with a come back as a new band name. That was a conversation that we were having on Summer Slaughter. And I was like, this is just like a nightmare. It's like, and then I have Josh, our producer being like, I haven't got paid yet. And then I'm like, oh my God, like this is like such a mess. And it's like not how I like to do things. I'm a very like professional person. I try to do things as like correct and, and professional as possible. I try to hold myself in such a professional light. I keep saying professional, but nonetheless, um, I, I, that's something that I, as a standard, I try to uphold. And it's the feedback I've gotten from everyone in the industry. So I'm very proud of that. And it just sucks that like I can do my job very professionally and other people who that's their job is to be a professional music industry person could not do that. Or quite frankly, didn't give two fucks. And that's okay. If you don't give a fuck about my band, you don't give a fuck about my band, but that's what was happening. And it was, um, yeah, it was, it was super frustrating and it was, it was very, um, upsetting if you will. But like, I think, I think we landed with people that really care about the band and I noticed it regarding the whole vocal situation that they really were like, we love the band and we signed the band because of the music of the band, not because of like who your vocalist is. And it felt like really good to be like appreciated for like, I mean, as a guitar player and Austin as a drummer to be appreciated for like who we are as musicians, not just like who's the front man of the band. It just mm -hmm. felt really good to like have those people in our corner. Really quite difficult. You know, I think maybe some listeners just think, the CJ stuff was just the difficulty going around at the time of Immortal, but a lot of difficult um, climate for the band, you know, the legal stuff, the CJ stuff, the album release stuff, really difficult. But obviously at no stage did you think, I'm giving up on this, or did you at any stage think, ah, Oh, so many stages. This. I mean, every tour I came home, I wanted to quit. Um, I mean, every tour I was just like, I, I had enough. Um, whether it be internal drama within the band, whether it be like, there's nothing else I can do. Like I, I, I called Austin when I came, came from our headliner, 
um, in May. And I was like, I don't think I can be in this band anymore. Um, and then, and then on summer slaughter, I called our management and we were like doing routing shows coming home when tour was over. And, uh, I was like, yeah, I just don't think that like I can exist how the, how the band is being run this way and, and with how things are being operated. Like I, and, and, and I, and I, ironically enough, I wasn't the only one I know Austin was having frustrations with it. Andrew was having frustrations with it. So like, it was really difficult at the point in time. I was like, 2019 was a very, very difficult year. Um, and I think people just see like the tail end of it and not know like what was going on mm-hmm. because the fact that we were, we kept all of this stuff that was going on very contained, tamed. No one noticed all the frustration of like, no one's going to notice the phone calls. No one's going to notice like the label being like, we're not putting out the record or no one's mm-hmm. going to be there for uh, the emails or whatnot. They just see, you said you're putting out the record in the summer and now it's not coming out. Like what the hell? And, and it's like, yeah, I get your frustration, but we've like, I was doing literally everything under the sun to make this happen. I wrote and recorded all my solos in a day and a half because we had to get it turned in because it was like, you have to turn in by this Friday. And I was like, okay, cool. Turned it in. And then a week later they're like, oh yeah, we're not putting out the record. I'm like, so I literally killed myself to do these solos because I couldn't do it because I was on a headline tour. And then I came home, busted out five solos and then recorded it all in a day and a half, basically wrote and recorded all in a day and a half to, for them to be like, we're not putting it out and didn't even matter if I killed myself doing yeah. that. So, so it, it was a very, and no one's there for that. No one's seeing that. And that's why I'm glad to talk about this because like everyone messages us thinking that it's about this one incident and not knowing the frustrations that I'm, de- I'm dealing with on a regular basis. And then to go on tour and then have everyone be like, why is it not coming out? And it's like, I'm literally doing everything I can. And then finally see the light at the end of the tunnel. And then it still collapses or not collapses. I think that it just kind of came out in a way that may be less optimal, but I mean, I like to believe things happen for the way they're supposed to. And, and you know, it, it uh, kind of, it is what it is at this point, but yeah, it, it was a very, very hard period of time. And I think that a lot of people weren't there for that. And the only people that really understand it is myself and Austin, because we had to deal with this on a regular basis every single day, trying to figure all this stuff out. And it's, it was very hard. So it's very easy to be like, yeah, I want to quit. But like what kept me there was that I put all this work into this record that I can't just leave. I, you know, I wrote this record that, you know, I am proud of, but I can't just walk away from it. Um, this is my life. I put years, years into this band. I've created this band, and took this band from being a VFW local band to being able to tour all over the place and, and, and have people know our music. I can't just walk away from that. And, and even though I have those, you know, grasses green on the other side, like, fuck it, I want to quit. I never did because of the fact that there's so much, so many things like holding me, um, um, to this, but I mean, it, it's only human and normal to be like, yeah, fuck it. I'm done when, when things are fucking terrible. Well, I mean, uh, you so, know, it terrible, but clearly relief when the album finally comes out. Um, and you mentioned, you know, it was the, obviously the change in the vocalist. Will's in the band now, or is he full-time now? Uh, we haven't decided that yet. And, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're seeing how things go. We were trying, we were trying him out on tour, but tour got cut yeah. fucking really short. So we only <laughs> played six shows, but uh, he handled everything like a champ. I will say that. I think, you know, being that being the worst tour we've ever done because not in the worst tour we've ever done because of like show wise, but like stuck in Europe during a pandemic, like logistical nightmare. He handled that really, really well, like learned the songs really, really quickly, came out, performed. Everyone loved him. Everyone, everyone that was after the shows were like, he's phenomenal. Every band on tour was like, this dude is phenomenal. Um, 
handled being like, you know, he was just joking about like, this is literally going to be really going to be the escape from Europe tour and like found like a way to be fun and cheeky about it, regardless of like how severe, severe it was. And I think it was, it just showed his character. So, so we do like him as, as a, as a person, but we, I don't think we've decided that yet since we didn't have a, great, a good enough experience with, mm. with touring with him yet. So we, we definitely don't, don't know. And I guess that's why I'm saying I'm kind of glad for COVID because we can take our time and figure this stuff out because the management and booking was like, you don't have time. You need to find a fill in. You need to find a replacement and go on tour. And I was like, well, myself and Austin was like, we're, we're, we're trying someone out and seeing how it works. Like the record's already out. There's no reason to find someone to, to replace him just yet because there's no reason to. So we are going to take our time and find the person because we don't want to be in a situation in a year and a half to replace someone again. So we want to find the person and we want them to be the person that, um, that makes sense. So, um, but you know, to, to, speak highly on will he did a phenomenal job he was great to be around uh he smashed the songs i think he did really really well and um, um i was very wowed and i don't get wowed by vocals because i don't really care for vocalists i think a lot of them are fucking douchey but um <laughs> i was very wowed because the fact that he um he did all these songs one take take and sent us videos and i was like wow your one takes are comparing your one like one takes are comparing to someone's full on studio recording with multiple layers and i was like the fact that you did it all one take and it's not like he sent me the song one take i watched the video of him doing doing it one take and it was it was absolutely insane and and that like really was like wow like this this dude knows what he knows what he's doing and i don't really get wowed very much and I even told Austin, I was like, dude, this, this dude is nailing it on one take. So I, I have to kind of give him a shot. And, uh, yeah, it, it, worked, it worked out well to do that tour and, and hopefully, you know, things keep working out well. So, yeah, well, I mean, you know, it will be an interesting, this leads me to the question of, you know, the COVID's come in, you know, it's still around. It hasn't just come in, you know, and done a chaos <laughs> and disappeared, you know, it's still around. So, Obviously, as you said, there's a positive light out of this because it's time for, you know, you guys to collectively gather yourself. You can make sure everything's going to work out how you want to now, not only with the vocalist, but the other members that you're going to need um, because you've had some issues. Um, but where do you see the band going forward? If the COVID ended tomorrow, are you ready to roll? Um, are you processing things still? I mean, where where's Adam at the middle part of 2020 with COVID and with Lawn Ashore because there's been chaos for the last year and a half or year. So where are you now? Oh, I mean, like, I think, think if, if I got a phone call from my booking agent tomorrow being like, Hey, you can go on tour soon. I would pack up my bags like instantaneously. I would have no problem going on tour. Um, yeah, I mean, I think it was a sigh of relief when we found, when I got home because um, um, I landed in New York and I had to do like a nine-hour drive to North Carolina after COVID. And I was like just driving and like just thinking. And I was like, well, you know what? I've been wanting like time because I just moved. I dealt with all this stuff all of last year. I can finally have time to like unwind and like gather myself that like I'm kind of looking forward to it. So that's how I spent the beginning of quarantine. And I think as things didn't get any better, like because we were starting to get tour offers for the fall. And then they started getting pushed back to next year. And I'm like, okay, great. Then I started being like, I want to go on tour now. And like, I started realizing how grateful and like how much I miss touring. Um, I think a lot of times I would be on tour and, and want to be home because of the fact that my life normally was really hectic that, you know, distance makes the heart grow fonder, obviously. So being away from tour, being able to not play shows made me really appreciate how much I do miss playing shows. It really reaffirmed that I love like 
performing and I love connecting with fans. And that's something that I started doing on, on our, our more last few tours is because our fifth for an autopsy tour, I was selling, selling merch. So I was um, to save us some money. But and at first I was like, okay, I'll save us some money. I don't mind doing it. But I started really enjoying because I started having conversation with so many different people that I really like loved meeting all of our fans. And when we went to Europe, the same situation, we were all selling merch. And I just like really loved like connecting with our fan base. Cause I think it's important and, and it's kind of, I don't know. It's, I never really enjoyed the kind of like just sitting in the back green room. Like there's some days where I'm like, I don't want to be around people and that's rightfully so, but like, I really loved like meeting fans. And I think that going out on tour, like I loved, and I miss that. I miss meeting the people that care about our band. And I just like also meeting new people, not from a, like a fan to fan perspective, but just nice meeting new people and just like, you know, connecting with others. And, and uh, it's cool that music gets to bring it, bring us to that. So of course I would love to go back out on tour. And I think, you know, in the process right now we're we're booking, 2021 um so we're trying to fill that up as we can and uh you know that's that's where the band's at and i think uh we've been working on a i mean i we've all been writing music i mean i don't know when we'd go in the studio doing the record but we figured let's take this time to start flushing out ideas or trying things out or there's no pressure because most times when we write a record it's like because we're always being so frantic and because it always just comes down to just being like me and austin because more recently we've just been picking up the pieces that like we're all over the place and we get to work on the record like last minute or in the studio. Like that's how Immortal came about. It was like, we worked on it for about a month before we went to the studio and then finished in the studio, which is me, Austin and Josh. And we were like, I, don't, I was like, I don't want to do this again. Let's like spend this time now to like work on music and try ideas. And like, even if it doesn't work out, but like just get the songwriting process going. And um, that's what we've been doing. And it's been, you know, I think this time of, of, of quarantine has, has allowed me to really connect with like why I'm doing this and just really shows how much I really enjoy doing this. Cause like, even like during quarantine, it's like, well, like what if this never comes back and like I can't play shows, like what would I want to do? And I was like having really like rough time trying to figure out like what else does Adam want to do? And it just shows that I really only want to do something pertaining to music. And I still haven't done everything I want to do with Lorna Shore yet. So I think walking away would, I think be doing myself a disservice and I think everyone else involved in the band would be doing it a disservice. So, well, I mean, uh, I know our listeners, are definitely going to echo my sentiment. I'm excited to see the next chapter, man, like not only from a live perspective, but music perspective. Um, I'm excited to see the next phase. Um, and I'm glad you're not going to give up on the Lorna Shaw baby. Um, because then I'll be angry and I'll be abusing you, because uh, I mm-hmm. now have your Skype details, so I'll abuse you. Um, but I, oh, if I was in Lorna Shore, I wouldn't be ghosts. You wouldn't, you wouldn't catch me on the internet. You wouldn't. I would be non-existent, and it, I would, I would be gone. So, <laughs> but right now, I'm, really, I'm right now I'm here to stay. So, <laughs> um, now when you were growing up, you were watching DVDs about touring and being with friends, and you know in a way kind of seeing the glorified elements of a touring life but then the reality of a touring life is stuck in a shitty van with the same five people who stink or smell um you're away from moments of life uh birthdays etc etc um was touring and is touring an easy thing for you to do or is it something that you've struggled with and just had to kind of accept that it's part and parcel of the game i think um it's something I struggled with because I think it's really easy to focus on the negative side of touring. I think it's really easy to not see the positives. Um, it's 
And also the things that you see as negative could also be positives. Like it's really, it really, it was really easy for me to be like, Oh, I miss being at home. I'm missing birthdays or I'm missing like families are doing things or I miss Thanksgiving. And I love Thanksgiving. Um, and I was in Europe doing it and I was like, well, this fucking sucks. And it, it, it does bum you out. But I think what, as I learned over the years is to focus on the positives and that made tour a lot more enjoyable like if you can look at your bandmate to be like, I'm just glad to be around a bunch of other people that I do consider friends. Like you start to enjoy tour a lot better. When you start, we're not looking at like, I'm stuck here with you. It's, I think it's all the narrative that you display. Cause I do think everything in life is neutral and, and whatever energy you put into it is what it's going to feel like. So if, I, if I'm in the van being like, I'm tired of being around all these people, then of course it's going to be negative. But if I started looking at people being like, I'm glad I'm on tour with my friends playing music that we wrote, uh, then of course it seems so much seems so much more light and enjoyable and you know, you'd want to be there, and but it, it, I had to change my change my outlook and the way that I saw things and the way that I framed things. So I tried I really try really hard actively to go how can I see this in a positive light? And it's very easy to go get stuck up in the negativity of the worry of finances or or being away from loved ones or being away from you know significant others or your friends or you're missing out on this or this stuff's happening at home and you can't deal with it. Like it's real it's real and 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 it's it definitely is frustrating and it's really hard but I think if you learn to get your head on straight and and look at the positives that you're around and being able to play music that you've written and being around people that you you love to be around and connect with other musicians to get to tour with or, or other fans and like it touring starts to be a lot better and like the moment you accept that I'm gonna be on tour for the next few weeks and the, le- the less you fight it the easier it becomes because I would always fight it like oh man I'm just counting down the days for tour to be over and then the less I, I did that, the the easier tour became and the better the, the tour ended up feeling for me because I was going into it with like, I'm just glad to be in a band with a bunch of my friends having a good time playing music that I enjoy. And that may, that allows me to be on tour a lot uh, longer. And I think that's something that I really learned during the Flesh Coffin era, which is why we're able to do well over 200 shows, is because of the fact that I was like just really excited to put out Flesh Coffin and be playing shows with my friends and playing music that I really, really believe in and being able to tour bands that I really enjoy and, and go to places that I would never have gone before. So it made touring a lot more fun when I realized that like I was looking at tour with a positive perspective and made touring a lot easier. Um, but those stuff that people focus on about how touring is difficult, it is really difficult and you can't deny it. But at some point you need to accept and like surrender to it. Like you are on tour, this is happening. There's nothing you can do about it. So fighting it is only going to be a waste of your energy. Yeah, good answer, man. Um, and last thing is, you know, we've talked about social media aspects of the industry um, and how now it's easier for not only a band to get attention but get noticed, get listens, you know, all of that stuff that happens with the social media aspect of the industry. But for a band within the industry, do you think it's easier or harder now to maintain a band going and what I mean by that is keep shows going keep some revenue incoming is it easy or hard for a band in 2020 uh, to make uh, a career if they want to I think it's easy and hard at the same time I think it's hard because it's so much more saturated because it's easier to get noticed so there's so many more bands getting picked up and like you can go on, scroll through social media and some other band put out a new song today. So there's so much stimulus that it's hard to filter through. But because of the fact that it's really easy to put out music, I think it becomes easier. Because if you think about 10 years ago when like 
there's only a limited amount of bands putting out records or even more than 10 years ago. I think even like 20 years ago, think about early 2000s, like it was a lot harder for bands our size to exist without social media. Um, you know, there's so many people that get noticed by so many different avenues because there's so many more options from social media to obviously to YouTube to like wherever things get noticed, things are, are, are picking up so much more. And I think there's more opportunity, but because there's so much more opportunity and, and there's so much of more availability, it is harder because there's so much noise that's hard to kind of cut through that noise. So I think there is in a way it's easier, but because it's easier, it is harder because there's so much more, um, competition, if you will. And I think, um, because I understand there's so much more competition, it's really important to define yourself and to really have yourself stand out by doing things that not the pack is doing, which is why I don't try to follow trends because trends come and go. And if you just kind of following the pack, you're just going to saturate the the sound and then the sound's going to die. And then that's, and that's you're, the only person that's going to be around is the people that created that sound. So we've stuck through all the trends where doing what we do is not cool. And then it started becoming cool and then, then it's not cool again. So I think it's really important to maintain yourself and to exist in this world is to be true and be yourself. And that's something that I really fight for is just be authentic in music and not try to fight, follow trends. I see so many bands have evolved and, not saying that bands can't evolve, but they evolve in a very conspicuous way where it's like they are this sound and then they become the, the next popular sound and then become the next popular sound and then they start becoming this popular sound. I'm like, okay, you're just you're just trying to chase after this and by that if you're trying to chase after it, you've already failed and lost. So your best bet is to be yourself and I think um I think when you exist in that sort of way it becomes a lot easier because you're not competing with every other band who's being the same, getting the same artwork done by the same artist, putting out the music with the same you know, few platforms, you know, uh, if you tried understanding what everyone else is doing and go, how can I do this differently? I think that'll be productive in, in, in my opinion. Yeah. I think that's a, that's a great point. I think it is everyone listening, you know, stay true to yourself and don't follow the trend. You know, you don't need to. Um, there's a reason, there's a reason rap metal died, man. Like, fuck. (laughs) No disrespect. Yeah, I think the bands, like, the bands that create the quote unquote trend, they're not doing it to create a trend. They're mm-hmm. being themselves. They're being authentic. Mm-hmm. And everyone else is going, oh, wow, this band d- did this. I can do this. And then you have, why well, you have all these other carbon copy bands. And then th- because it becomes oversaturated, it kills the entire sound in itself. But if you think about the pioneer of that sound was simply just being true to themselves. I don't think they were sitting around being like, we want to do this because that's a cool thing to do. And that's going to get the band big. It's like, this is what I want to do. Mm. Um, and not saying that I'm a pioneer of any sort of sound, but that's just my thought process was always like, I like these sort of things. I like being inspired by more black metal stuff. I like being inspired by, by like technical death metal and like really extreme, like heavy music that I'm going to put this in my music, not because of the fact that like, Oh, okay, I know this is gonna get the band big. Or I know if we do this, this will be like the next step for the band. It's more so like we authentically wanted to do this. And I, and I, Tell everyone if they ask for any sort of music advice is to be yourself. Like it's the most important thing. Like I cannot figure out what the next trend is going to be. None of us can. And if you can, then awesome. But since we don't have that ability, like there's no reason to try to think about and obsess over it. Just you can control how you feel about the music that you write and, and be authentic to you. And that's, that's the big thing that I, that I, that I harp on is simply being authentic and being yourself and, and uh, being confident in that because 
it's really easy to follow a trend when you're not confident in yourself because you're like, well, this already is working and this is already time tested and true. So let me just follow that trend versus putting on your big boy pants, being a little confident, trusting yourself and having that authenticity. And I think that's when you'll make it in music. Yeah. And if you abide by anyone else's advice, they're wrong. <laughs> <laughs> fuck yeah. <laughs> yeah, fuck yeah. Um, right. Let's have some fun. Now, yes. We uh, do a part of the show, we do it with everyone, and we, that's how we end things, and it's called Pick Your Poison. What I do sure. is I give you two options. You pick your favorite of the two. Now, you don't need to justify it. You can just roll okay. with it. Now, when okay. I say some are easy, some are, some are hard, and I have broken a few people. Like Some people sure. have hated this segment just based off the things they got to pick through. So... Uh- I have no shame, so I don't really care. I'll be good. <laughs> uh, pizza or a burger? Pizza. Okay. Ribs or brisket? I'm going to pick ribs. Mm-hmm. Risotto or pasta? Pasta. Soft taco, crunchy taco? Soft. Okay. Chicken or beef? Chicken, for sure. Smooth peanut butter or crunchy peanut butter? Uh, I like smooth, but I the variety of crunchy is nice. But smooth is a consistent, like I think I can have smooth more often. Mm-hmm. But crunchy is, I think, better. But as far as an everyday option, smooth is better. Coffee or tea? I prefer coffee over tea, but I know I should stop drinking as much coffee. So I'm, I'm going to go with I'm going to go with tea for the sake of my mental health. But as far as what's a big vice is caffeine and coffee is that vice. Mm-hmm. But I'm going to say to be healthy, I'm going to go he- call tea for my own mental sanity. Um, would you rather cook at home or dine out? During quarantine, I started loving cooking. So cooking at home a hundred times. I appreciate dining out because I don't have to like clean up anything, but I do value cooking at home and I do love cooking for others. It's a, I don't know, maybe because growing up with like a European mother, it made me appreciate cooking at home and cooking for others. So I do love now cooking at home. Uh, new movie. Do you prefer the cinema to watch it or on the couch? I hate going to movie theater. Honestly, like I used to love it, but like it's so overpriced. You spend so much money and then there's other people talking. I'd rather sit on the couch and like have control over what I'm eating, mm-hmm. who's around me, the environment. Um, I think there's only like certain movies I'd want to see in theaters, which is like has really, really good like sound. And I think you get that by being in a movie theater. But I think most movies you can get by sitting on the couch. Yeah. And I think the advantage of it, if it's on the couch, if you need to go to the toilet, you can pause it and not miss that five minute period of the movie yeah i I heard even like that's uh uh something that's not gonna really come back it's gonna take a hit after covid because people are gonna be like why do i need to go to a movie theater yeah it's taken a big hit already um okay spend the day at the beach or spend the day at the snow i just spent the day at the beach three days ago so i'm gonna say a day at the snow i'm a big winter person so um i do love the winter and the snow but i do value the beach but i'm gonna i'm I'm always a, a winter person at heart uh, PlayStation or Xbox? PlayStation, Xbox is for children. Yeah, buddy. Um, cat or dog? We have both, but I am always a cat person. Okay. Um, okay. I was obsessed with big cats at, in second grade, so cats all day. Um, and dogs used to but I hated them, so. <laughs> Terminator or Predator? Which Terminator? Um, Terminator 2 or Predator 1? 
Terminator 2. Okay. Uh, just actually, I don't know. Hold on, Predator because that scene where he picks up the log and his biceps are like enormous. I don't know. Schwarzenegger and, and Predator was pretty badass, but he was so sick in Terminator because the T1000 was so sick. Um, I'm still gonna go with Terminator 2 because I feel like he was just such a staple role. But like Predator, he was badass. But Terminator, but but Terminator 2 for sure. Well, let, let's be. Let's also side comment Arnie during that whole period. Yeah, you know, Commando. All of that was such and commando over over the other two commando oh, for sure. I'll take... Love that movie. Um, but I'll take, I'll take Rocky over Terminator any day. Yes. Um, okay. Well, actually, the next one, Rambo or Rocky? Rocky. I'm I'm an Italian from New Jersey. Are you kidding me? I you you resonate with Rocky so much. Rocky Four is one of the greatest films of all time. Rocky Four. Ah, nice. Rocky. Rocky one is Rocky one is like it's it's a classic, but something about Rocky four because it's like you see him go through this like humbling process of losing his like idol and friend and like during it was like also during the period of like the Cold War, so like mm. how important that that film was and like how like he was the actual underdog. He's always the underdog, but he was like such an underdog to like this like genetic freak of Drago. And he goes to Russia. He trains. He like really gets his humbling process. Trains in a very humble environment and beats his ass because Rocky is fucking Rocky. Rocky Four all day. Yeah, that that montage of training in the cabin in the snow that that montage like oof. The soundtrack yeah. to that is great. I listen. To, I still listen to it like to this day. Like I listened to it in the car. Like I think the other day. Oh. But Rocky Four, there's something about like him beating Drago, just like overcoming. I mean, I think Rocky One was like such a phenomenal movie. But like I think there's something about Rocky Four that like I absolutely love because of just the humbling of how humble Rocky had to become in order to beat Drago. Yeah, fuck yeah. Um, Star Wars or Star Trek? Star Wars. Okay. Uh, Freddy or Jason? Um, Jason. I think Jason's way more badass than Freddy, mm-hmm. in my opinion. I think Freddy's kind of comical. Jason's a little more of a badass, in my opinion. <laughs> South Park or Simpsons? I appreciated Simpsons growing up, but I didn't get it. South Park, I got because I was in my adult age. So I'm going to have to say South Park because I think I understood it more. Simpsons, I was really young when that was like, I didn't, when, when, when people were watching and I just didn't get it. Um, Anchorman or Step Brothers? Step Brothers, absolutely. Mm. That's one of his best films. Um, some music ones um, Slayer or Pantera? Metallica. Well, next one's Metallica or Megadeth. Metallica. Dave Mustaine is a fucking crybaby, and he is just like a whiny, like, bitch. Like, you literally, I get it. Like, you could have been in that band, but there's a reason why you're not in that band, because I would hate being around you, because every time I watch interviews with Dave Mustaine, I'm like, shut the fuck up. (laughs) So, Metallica. I don't care if they put out a, a bunch of bad records. Fuck Dave Mustaine. Well, I, I always find it funny, because, you know, I always laugh when people pick Metallica because Dave loses at everything. It's the first thing I think. Um, secondly, yeah. Megadeth is still a success, dude. So stop crying. Like, get over it. You're still big. Like, you're bigger than my fucking band, and you're crying more than I do. It's <laughs> like, are you kidding me? It's like, insane. you're bigger than my band by a long shot. And like, I mean, I get it. You like Marty Friedman. First off, you've had nothing but great, phenomenal guitar players around you, better than Kirk Hammett, and you still can't make better records than Metallica. Then that's saying something about you, because Marty Friedman, um, uh, what's his name? Uh, who else played with them recently? 
uh, his name's escaping me. Oh my God, I'm, I'm gonna remember it in ten minutes. But nonetheless, he's had nothing but great, phenomenal guitar players around him, great musicians, and people leave. So that's a you problem. Mm-hmm. There's a reason why you keep leaving you, and you have great musicians not being around you because you are cry baby, and you made more money than anybody else, and you're still crying. Who wants to be around that? Uh, Metallica. Well, nobody picks Megadeth. Um, just for the nope. the other record, and anyone that does, um, I think they're drunk. Um, okay. Based off their first album, just their debut album, would you go Whitechapel or Suicide Silence? Debut album? Still Whitechapel. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Fuck. Are you kidding me? Like, that record slammed. Like, like not like in the slam, but like that shit like hit fucking hard. It NBA jam slammed. Mm-hmm. That shit was fucking badass. That shit, I felt like I grew... I'm five foot seven. I thought I grew like a whole foot listening to that record. I thought I thought I was like tough as shit. I still wasn't, but that shit was hard as fuck. Phil Bozeman, still one of the best vocalists oh, of yes. all time. Hands down. Um Okay. An interesting one. Would you rather go Behemoth or Demu? I'm gonna say Behemoth because I have more um attachment to it because again I have I'm, I'm also uh Polish, so I read his autobiography, so I can resonate more with that. Um, and I also just feel like the imagery behind Behemoth. I think the I think Behemoth in their more current stage is so much. It's one of the most mature metal like sounds. I think imagery. I think like lyrically. I think just Nurgle is a badass to begin with. I think the guy beat cancer and just said like kind of fuck you. Mm. To every, and I think that's just such a badass move. Um, Demu was my like my like gateway to liking like darker music, but I just think that Behemoth is just so badass that I just can't. Mm. I don't know. Yeah, I, I had to pick Behemoth, and also I have I have an emo- like I have like a historical attachment to it because like there are songs that are in Polish, and then there's like readings autobiographies like talking about stuff like how religious Poland was, and I and I've experienced that because I've been there and I've experienced it. I'm like I can relate to what he's talking about, so there's more relatability to Behemoth and like Nurgle and his story versus like Dimu, if you will. Yeah. Um, right. One more music one. Slipknot or Machine Head? Uh, I'll pick Slipknot, but I don't really. I'm not like one of those big Slipknot fans. Um, not really big into like the new metal sound, but I, I think Slipknot's a better band. Now, last couple of things. We've got four left. Um, and this one's a bit of a weird one because I don't know if you'd be getting them at your shows. Not to say that you shouldn't. Would you rather see stage dives going on or mic grabs going on at your performance? See, when we've ever had a mm. stage dive, it's been fucking awesome because it's rare. Mm-hmm. A mic grab is kind of annoying because most people, when they grab the mic, are not great. And because we always hand out the mic to like other like vocalists, it's not as cool. I think when the crowd is involved and they're just like singing and you can hear it over the music, I think that's the coolest thing. Like if you ever seen European festivals, you can just hear the melody of the song being sung by the crowd. That to me is the greatest thing of all time. But I love stage dives because we don't really get them and we give the mic out enough and it's been embarrassing. So stage dives. <laughs> And with COVID, you probably can't give the mic out because they'll sweat and spit. And I don't give them mic out. I don't sing, so they can they, they can pass all them germs all, all they want. Um, you go to a show. Are you going to watch it from the pit or by the sound desk? By the sound desk. I want to hear a band. Um, 
for what it is. But uh, I stand all over the place. I don't really, I don't really care. If I'm really into the band, I'll be up close. Like, um, like when I saw the band Batushka, I was like really up, up close, and that was super sick. So that was like a really cool thing to be experienced. But if it's like a band that I really want to like hear, um, I'll be by the soundboard or whatever is most audible. Now, this one, one goes with the other technically, but if you had to just do one, would you rather tour for the rest of your life or record for the rest of your life? I feel like recording after the record's done, I wouldn't want to do it again. Um, I think recording is the most fulfilling process about being a band. That's my favorite process. But I think it doesn't take me much longer to go on tour Again, like I can come home from tour, be home for like a week or two and be like, I can go back out again. I couldn't be home from recording a record and go back out in two weeks and write again. But I do, I think writing is probably what I'm going to spend the rest of my life doing. So I'm going to have to say writing, but I can realistically, like logically think I can do touring more often because it's um it's easier to kind of go back to back versus writing. It's a little bit more draining, but I think writing is more fulfilling. So I would say writing. Okay, now last one. Your all-time favorite album is going to be given to you. Do you want it on CD, vinyl, or just on your phone? I already have it on vinyl, so. Hey, <laughs> best answer on that one. Fuck yes. Yeah. Um, Adam, we uh, pretty much just smashed the shit out of that. That exceeded uh, expectations, exceeded time, so I'm appreciative of that without a doubt. Um, it was in-depth. It was fun was relaxed felt like a new year like it was really that so i really appreciate that that says a lot about who you are um and it's just an exciting listen like uh, people are going to enjoy this it's you know in depth um and very valuable well thank you this has been really seamless um i think a lot of times when it comes to like podcasts or interviews it feels very rigid this felt more like a conversation i felt like i was able to go off on tangents and um speak on behalf of the stuff that I was kind of feeling. So I do appreciate that. And it felt like you said, very seamless and very uh, laid back and casual. So sometimes I just kind of hate robotically answering questions. Yeah. (laughs) Well, I mean, I love, as soon as I noticed you went on tangents, I was like, yeah, I'm in for a great time. Um, I really appreciate it again. Uh, A lot of love, a lot of respect. Um, Thank you. You No, thank you for the opportunity and thank you for allowing me to speak on behalf of my band and what we do. So oh, you're a legend, man. I'll I'll definitely stay in touch too. So you'll hear from me again. You're a legend. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Come <laughs> on.
So that was my chat with Adam of Lorna Shaw. At the end there, you heard the band's track, This Is Hell, which is from their most recent album, Immortal. The second track you heard was Funeral Moon, which is from the band's album, Flesh Coffin. And the last track you heard was White Noise, which is from their release, Psalms. Now's the part of the show where I spark that thing inside you that if you enjoyed the conversation or if you enjoyed the music at the end there, now's your chance. Take some time out this week, download the music, stream the music, get into that discography that Lorna Shaw have going. If you're into physicals, get online, get onto eBay, all of those things, get yourself a CD or vinyl. And if you're into merch, Make sure you jump online and get yourself some of that as well. I need to also take this moment to thank Adam again. Thank you so very, very, very much, dude, for taking time out for me and the Mosh Zone. Much love, much respect, much appreciated. And that's it. That's the Mosh Zone, episode 126, done, dusted, all wrapped up. Locked away for this week. Guys, if you're a first-time listener, thank you for tuning in. I hope you come back over future weeks on future episodes. If you're a regular listener, thank you as always for tuning in and hope you come back in future weeks. This time of the show is when I remind you that we need your help to get out to more listeners. So... If you've got a few moments this week and you enjoyed this episode, share it on your social medias. Also, tell everyone you know about the Mosh Zone. Help us out. Help us grow this Mosh Zone community. Also, at this time of the show, I need to remind you that if you want to find Mosh News and Mosh Reviews, we have it all on our website and social medias. Our website is www.themoshzone.com. Our social medias are all at The Mosh Zone, and you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Also, don't forget, you can also get in touch through our email address, which is themoshzone at gmail.com. Get in touch, guys. Help us grow this Mosh Zone community. There's not much else to talk about. That is all of my rambling done. Thank you for tuning in. Have a great week. Stay safe. Open the pitch.